footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm joined this evening for an interesting discussion, potentially controversial, may push some buttons, not the intention to offend, but we do want to get us out of the comfort zone and issues important to us. We're starting a new series. We're going to pepper 2021 talking about glitches in the matrix biblical myths and problems. So many of our listeners and I would include myself in this group, qualify their lives as faith-oriented. They're interested in how the belief in God and the worship of God affects their daily life, perhaps how their decisions and career and personal and so forth affect their faith. In the past, we've done series on issues around mental health. We've done topics, difficult topics around uh, relationships and difficulty that we have in remaining faithful in relationships, keeping relationships alive. We've talked about the divorce rate in this show. We've talked about depression. Lots of things that don't often get covered in the religious world as they should or need to be. Well, we're going to go a little bit more to the heart of the matter, go back to Scripture, uh, Abrahamic Scripture, given the nature of the show. It's a little bit more in my comfort zone. We're going to be talking about the Torah, what uh, Christians would call the Old Testament, and, of course, the, the Bible of Jesus, the New Testament. I'm joined this evening by Shia Graby and the Reverend Dr. David Taylor. And I'll introduce uh, Shia first. Shia has a traditional... Jewish or yeshivish educational uh, and education, including at Haredi, which are ultra-Orthodox uh, yeshivas. He holds an MBA from NYU Stern. He's also an M&A professional, but in his intellectual life, he has a parallel life. He is a respected biblical archaeologist and historian, done some really interesting work in this field. He's written a book on the outsized impact of Jewish infighting across history, which is in the process of being published. And he writes a he writes a great weekly blog that I recommend to listeners called the Biblesleuth.com. And the Biblesleuth.com kind of connects the weekly Torah reading, the portion of the Bible that we read in synagogue as as Jews each week, with archaeological findings and history. It's geared towards an Orthodox Jewish audience, but it's true to the science. And Shia is currently curating an exhibit for a major biblical archaeology museum, and he's lectured at numerous synagogues and institutions of learning on biblical archaeology. Shia is based in Los Angeles, and when not indoors, writing about biblical history and archaeology, he enjoys anything active outdoors. Me too. <laughs> I was. Uh, I, I love this part of the year where you can ski and enjoy the enjoy the outdoors. It's not uh, so cold as it was a month ago. Welcome, Shia, to the show. Thank you. And I'm so happy to have Rev, the Reverend Doctor David Taylor back on equal footing. 
We've been joined by Reverend Dave a couple times talking about issues around morality and religion. It's exemplified in characters in the Bible. Talked about a couple, few weeks back about you know, breaking up with our spiritual mentor, how to, how to get out of difficult situations with a minister, a rabbi even that we, that, that uh, doesn't necessarily serve our purpose on the spiritual path anymore. And I love how Reverend Taylor is willing to kind of tackle difficult issues. And his background is just so deep around understanding the personal and the philosophical side of, of religious doctrine. He's been a chaplain for almost 30 years, a native of Vero Beach, Florida. He grew up in a Southern Baptist evangelical home, and he's earned his Master's of Divinity from the Southern Theological Seminary, a Master's of Religious Studies from the University of Cape Town in South Africa, and his doctorate from the Virginia Episcopalian Seminary. So he switched kind of denominations in his life. And during his time in South Africa, uh, the Reverend Dr. Taylor worked with Nobel Peace Prize laureate, the Bishop Desmond Tutu. And Reverend Taylor has served as a chaplain in two major and minor league baseball teams, uh, veterans' hospitals, retirement communities, prisons, and numerous academic institutions. Reverend Dave, great to have you on the show again. Wonderful to be here. Thank you, Doe. Shia, kick us off on this difficult topic, and this is where we're going to zero in this week uh, in terms of kind of biblical problems, inconsistencies, issues that cause us to kind of challenge our core belief set, and that is the difference between monotheism and monolatry. And now, listeners, stay with me on this, because this isn't as nerdy as it may seem at first. I, I didn't know before researching for this show... Uh, what monolatry was. And we're getting, we're getting a significant amount of background on this, guys. So if you're not talking, if you could put it on mute. Um, so mon- monotheism is the belief that there is one God. And we're going to get into what monolatry is in a moment, but it's subtly different. And when you hear it, it is going to, at least if you're in a faith-oriented lifestyle, may rock your world a little bit. It did for me in studying for it. It is this concept that uh, we worship one God. We have one God, but it doesn't deny the existence of other worship and other gods. And while this difference may seem kind of wonky, it may seem kind of uh, like it's parsing hairs, as we're going to see on this show, it has some pretty uh, tectonic consequences on what our belief set is, how we relate to the world, and even how we classify ourselves, either as Jews or Christians or Muslims or whatever, and what that classification really means. So, Shia... Have I done justice to that description? What is the what is the difference between monotheism and monolatry from an academic perspective? A little deeper. Yeah, the, the the simple definition is that monotheism there is only one God, and in monolatry, you are allowed to believe in one God, but there are other gods. So, the confusion or the the lack of clarity is if you look in the Bible, in different places it seems to suggest different things. So. When you start out in Genesis, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So what he's describing there sounds like God talking to some other divine beings. It's let us make mankind in our image, not in my image. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, it says, You shall have no other God before me. Well, does that mean that there are no other gods? Or does that mean that there are other gods, you just can't worship them? And it sounds like a bit of the latter, uh, when you read that statement. Now, on the flip side, you have a statement from the book of Isaiah in chapter 44, where it makes what is considered the most monotheistic statement in the entire Bible, which is, he says, this is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. 
So you see in different places... That's monotheist. What's, yes, that is a very clearly monotheistic uh, statement. Apart from me, there is no God. There's no one else. So, d- d- uh, the Reverend Doctor, Reverend Taylor, is that how you would dis- uh, create the distinction between monolatry and, mon- and monotheism? I think that Christianity has an interesting take on this because, and this goes back from an evangelical background, is that not only in the passages that uh, were, were mentioned in Genesis, but also you know in the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, uh, you know, let us go down and confuse them. The, the use of the plural. One of the things that Christianity always goes to, and I I question whether or not it's accurate uh, because we're looking at the the Hebrew Scriptures through a, a, a Christian lens, is that within that, um, monotheism is always phrased within the context of the Trinity, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or the glitches in the Matrix. Morpheus, Neo, and Trinity are the same person uh, in, looking, uh, in looking at this. So many times Christians just look at it in the pluralistic form, of uh, the Trinity being the guiding concept, right? Let, this is going to get pretty complex and uh, and and potentially dichotomous pretty quickly. Let's let's go back to, ten, to back to the Ten Commandments, and these are the core dictates for all the Abrahamic faiths. And I'm fascinated by the differences in translations over time that go to this very issue and the different interpretations even of the original Hebrew. So in the traditional Jewish Ten Commandments, often the first commandment is translated in English is as, you shall have no other gods but me. Uh, but if you look closer, I'm not an expert in this, so I'm putting it out on the table here for you guys, but if you look closer at the actual etymology, it's closer to, I am the Lord thy God. Now, why do why do you have to have the possessive in there? Uh, it, it, first of all, in the in the in the, in the kind of Jewish uh, traditional Jewish English tra- uh, translation, you have no you shall have no other gods but me. Why do you even have to mention other gods? If there is only one God, you would think it's 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 illogical to even make reference to other gods. And then in the more traditional Christian translations, and the Lord Thy God again. Why do we have to have the possessive in there? And why is God so obsessed with with claiming that you know it's he, she, or whatever that 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 there is only one God? It should be it should be obvious. Shia, is is this part of where the root problem is? Is this where the where the conflict begins? Um, I mean, this is one of the. I don't know if I think of it in terms of a problem originating from the Ten Commandments. I see it more as a problem originating from the you know, the broader scripture where it's not clear uh, from one book to the next what the exact definition is. So um, I'm thinking of it in Hebrew, I am your God, uh, you shall not have any other God. That to me reads as a, a statement of monolatry. Right. Absolutely. And and in Reverend Dave, you, you talked about the Trinity, and I think, Arguably, this is the, the the root of that. You have at least a tacit acceptance that there are other gods or godlike forces out there, even if it, they're not preeminent. Well, I think that Christianity also uh, evolves um, historically into a profound sense of cosmic dualism, where the Apostle Paul uh, refers to the god of this world, which Christians would usually refer to as a satanic character, the devil, which comes in as a part of this um, in, in Christian thought as well. But looking at the Ten Commandments, I, I think in terms of the monolatry, it, I, 
the language to me is clear with God, you know, saying, I'm a jealous God who's going to punish children to the third and the fourth generation, that there, the weight of this issue is something that is very, very relevant from the, from the origin of the Torah and how it's applied. So we're talking about the, the difference between monotheism, which most of us who grew up in Abrahamic faiths, either as Christians or Jews or Muslims, intuitively think or we're ingrained to think is what our religions are about, is belief in one God, there is only one God, and the concept of monolatry, which is the idea that we worship one God, but there are other gods out there, and when I say that as a as a premise, I think most listeners would probably think, you know, that that's not in that's not in the Bible. But I think, as our guests have mentioned, and we'll talk about more, it's actually the, the both both the Old and New Testaments, both the Torah and the Christian Bible, arguably sound more like monolatrous texts than they do monotheistic texts. You can participate in this conversation with Shia Graby, who is a respected biblical historian from an archaeological perspective, a scientific historical perspective, uh, and the Reverend Dr. David Taylor by calling into 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. If you're shy about being on the air, and I know that for some this is a real sensitive topic, you can also text a question to 917 917- Four two eight four zero six two. That's nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. We're going to take a break in a moment, but I want to uh, talk about idols for a moment because they're the translations. And we'll get off the Ten Commandments in a minute, but the translations of the Ten Commandments are all over the place when it comes to idols. <laughs> I mean, I've been able to find like eight different translations in eight accepted versions uh, uh, in different denominations and, and faiths in both Judaism and, and Christianity from. You shall not make or worship any idols, to you shall have no graven images or likenesses, to there are no other gods before me. Shia, are these differences important? Because it would seem that there's a pretty big difference between an idol and a god. An idol makes it seem like it's uh, it's kind of a silly mistake and don't pay attention to those those objects, whereas there should be no other gods before me implies there's a bunch of gods after me. Uh, I would tend to see this as also like one of those issues that come up because there are different statements in different parts of the Bible. So, uh, you know, what was the offense when Israel built the golden calf? You know, was it to, it seems like it's just an idol, but at the same time, they're being punished for it because I don't think they're necessarily punished for, or the dissent isn't that they're being punished uh for building a likeness of God himself. It sounds like they're building a likeness of a different God. Uh, but in other places, such as in early Isaiah, Isaiah makes the statement that, uh, you know, an idol is just an idol. It's the working of somebody's hands. It doesn't have any meaning. So, you know, people shouldn't worship it. Yeah, I think so, pretty, again, there's a pretty big difference here between saying someone is completely... Uh, misguided and the idol is meaningless and devoid of any spiritual force and please ignore those idols and graven likenesses and another message which is stay away from worshiping other gods i'm number one amongst the gods and and I know, again i know this this may press a button it's different one from what we were often brought up with religious education but that seems to be reverend dave how the the text reads isn't it isn't it a little bit more about the latter kind of the different the different gods in line of which Jehovah or the biblical God is number one? 
I think that is definitely uh, the case. And there's a tension. I think Shai gets a, a great point here talking about looking at Isaiah, that like an idol is just a, an idol. Paul actually repeats that phrase in his first letter to the Corinthians. It's like no no idol in the world really exists. You know, if you're if you're worshiping the statue or the graven image, you know, there's there's some issues that are there that we, we need to work with. But the the idea I think that we can also look at is not only in the Christian tradition looking at a demonic force or a Satan, but also how we can elevate things in our lives to make them a god or an idol which is a part of free will and, and human choice. Reverend Dave, talk to us for a moment about what you meant by the reference to Satan and the demonic force, because there is an argument that that's listed as kind of a temporal god, or described as like a temporal god in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Christian Bible, no? Well, the, the, the whole idea, the, the problem of evil uh, and the, the great philosophy of how, how we deal with that, whether it's from, from Kushner's landmark work of why, you know, bad things happen to good people, to trying to explain the, the satanic character, the devil in uh, the, the New Testament. And, and looking at this, that the word, you know, Satan comes from the adversary, which we see uh, going back to the book of Job. But the idea for the matrix analogy that this is based on, in order for there to be a Neo, there is an Agent Smith on the other side. <laughs> and so that is one of the things, that the agents of the matrix, that one of the things that we see is there is a dark side right. that is emphasized in Christianity. We already have a couple of text questions on this topic. We're going to take a break, and we're going to be back talking about monotheism versus monolatry. Do we, are our suppositions right? Are we as Abrahamic believers, Christians, Muslims, Jews, are we actually part of monotheistic faiths? We'll be back talking to the Reverend Dr. David Taylor and biblical archaeologist and historian Shia Graby. What would it be and would you call it to his face If you were faced with him in all his glory What would you ask Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is brought to you by DocuVax. Are you a small or medium-sized business owner who wants to provide a low-cost, effective health benefit for your employees? Maybe a school or government administrator who wants to ensure all of your students or employees have the proper vaccines. Maybe you're a parent just trying to keep up with your family's medical records in this pandemic period. Well, welcome to DocuVax. It's an easy-to-use digital locker. It's accessible on your laptop or smartphone. Just coming out with an app as well on Android and iOS. It allows you to safely store and validate basic medical information, including immunization records, lab results, even x-rays and MRIs. Gone are those frustrating days of losing time, tracking down your medical records, sharing your test results with a new doctor or new school. The DocuVax system covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile, from flu, COVID, and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast cancer screenings, blood type, allergies, etc. To sign up, go to DocuVax.com, that's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com, or call 833-859-1933. For as little as $6.99 per month, DocuVax subscribers can privately access all of their medical records from a secure HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility, and as a DocuVax subscriber, medical professionals are on call for you 
24 hours a day. That is cool. To validate your vaccine records, your blood tests, or anything else in your digital locker. Your medical data on DocuVax is never accessible unless you, as an individual subscriber, wants to share it privately. You use a proprietary QR code-based system to do that, and it keeps your data secure at all times. So put an end to worrying if you or someone you care about is up to date on a particular vaccine, blood test, or important preventative screening. Take control of your medical life. Sign up at DocuVax.com. And by the way, if you are a small or mid-sized organization and you're interested in sponsoring a bunch of your employees or affiliates to become DocuVax subscribers, you can get group discounts. So ask for that by calling 833-859-1933 and mention Equal Footing. Operators are standing by. I've been All right, we're back on Equal Footing. I'm with my guests, the Reverend Dr. David Taylor, Shia Graby, who is a biblical archaeologist and historian, and we're talking about this difficult subject of as Abrahamic believers, as Jews, Christians, Muslims, do we actually believe, are we monotheistic? Do we believe in one God, or do we believe we worship one God, but there are other gods out there? We had a question that came in uh, right before the break, and I want to shoot it at you, Shia, and give you a chance to open up the field as well, because I know you have lots of great biblical references that uh, cause you to kind of have mind bends on this uh, this issue. And it is, here, let me put, pull it up. The question is, if Judaism is not monotheistic, which religion actually is? We're having trouble with your line. Reverend Taylor, do you want to take that? If Judaism is not monotheistic, which religion is? Um, Maybe none. Well, I, you know, I would, go back, I would go back to the whole pre, presupposition that Judaism, um, you know, believes. And again, I, I think one key factor here that we haven't mentioned is the idea of there being the one true God. And that's a phrase that's used biblically many, many times in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the Christian Scriptures. And if Judaism is not monotheistic, because it is the foundational uh, Abrahamic faith that Christianity and Islam comes from, then um, I would argue that perhaps there, if Judaism is not monotheistic, then it is there is no monotheistic religion. I think that that is a, a logical place to take this. However, on the other side, there are people that I've heard from a Christian perspective who more so out of ignorance, I believe, in my professional opinion, would say that the God of um, the God of Christianity is different than the God of Islam or the God of, of Judaism. And so I think each religion of the Abrahamic faith has tries to, in their various sects, to try to pull some exclusivity. But in order to answer your question, I think Judaism being the foundation, um, it would be very hard to come up with a different monotheistic religion. I think that there's a certain advantage for those listeners that are kind of red in the face at this point and saying, no, you know, we, we believe in one God. There is only one God. If you open up the lens to monolatry, which is we have one God, uh, we worship one God, but we acknowledge that there are others worshiping other, other gods or versions of their ideas of God. It actually allows you to become more compassionate and I think make more sense in a sense, uh, in, in a way of the tapestry of humanity. Because then the over one billion people who practice Hinduism are not totally misguided. They're not worshiping in Judaism, you'd call it Hashem or, you know, the, the Lord and, uh, of Christianity, but they're 
you know, they're, they're practicing a faith that makes sense. Whereas if you're, it, that's a monolatrous perspective. If you're truly monotheistic, then you've, you, you basically are, are saying that at least those billion, and I would argue closer to an additional billion from other faiths that, that acknowledge different gods, like many Buddhists do as well, you've got, uh, you've got a whole portion of humanity, a quarter or up, up to a third of humanity that are effectively kind of just wasting their time spiritually. Shia, are you are you with me on this? Am I on? Yeah, yes. Okay. Do you hear me now? Yep. Okay, so I will get back to your monotheistic question after. I want to address, address this point first. Uh, one of the criticisms that is made of monotheism, uh, whether it's monolatry or whatever it is, one of the criticisms has been that it basically divides the world into what I believe in and what everybody else believes in, and it is fundamentally... Uh, it is fundamentally divisive. So that's, that's been a, a long criticism of monotheism. I would argue even if it was monolatrous, the same would apply, but I don't think it's an entirely fair criticism because certainly there is no evidence elsewhere that people did not engage in wars prior to the advent of monotheism. Wars are a constant feature of human existence. And even if you were in a polytheistic society, if you refused to worship the local god, for whatever reason, you could be accused of treason. So I don't know if just saying that you are okay with everybody else's religion solves all the problems. The the kind of New Age uh, way of looking at this that's more politically correct and I think generally accepted in academe is, you know, kind of a softball one from my perspective. It's like... Uh, everybody's worshiping in the way that makes sense. There's a universal force. Uh, this universal force resides, you know, within us, and there are lots of ways to to be guided to an absolute truth. And whatever is, whatever your way is to get there, if it makes you a better person, good on you. And there's that's a that's very facile, very attractive argument. Um, I think, Reverend Dave, there there are some key problems with that because if you truly are monotheistic. And you then also believe, you know, the guy across the street who is uh, worshipping one god that may not be the god the way I define it or uh, is worshipping multiple gods, y- you, you really are, you have incompatible belief sets. They're, they're, they, they're contradictory and it would seem to me that they're, it's a contradiction at the very essence of what you think life is about. Can you get away with having that, what I've called that New Age view, Reverend Dave, and also be monotheistic, or do you have to bend on one or the other? I, I personally think you have to bend, but I know plenty of people who uh, are very rigid uh, in, in their belief and have sound biblical justification for it. I mean, going back to Joshua, as for me and my house, We shall serve the Lord, Paul. Again, for us, there is only one God. Um, I I think that there is um, an underlying principle of judgment, but also within that judgment as a way out, we hope that there's some kind of theological relativism. Uh, And I'm okay, you're okay. Um, It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you really believe it kind of thing. And that is going to be offensive. Uh, in a monotheistic sense, because you're really trying to hedge your bets. And I think that many times the Abrahamic faith and others, there is an exclusivity that comes along with it in both Judaism, Christianity, and in Islam. Going back to even Ahura Mazda or extending on to the Baha'is. So, Shia, to, to Reverend Taylor's point, 
are would a Jewish perspective and now I'm talking about a contemporary perspective, which is definitively monotheistic, whereas we're talking about biblical here on the show, which I would argue strongly is, is monolatrous. But would a contemporary Jewish perspective that's monotheistic be that that Christians and Muslims are worshipping the Jewish God or not? Yes or no? I mean, logically, I, I, I don't feel like I'm a uh, enough of a religious scholar to say one way or the other. My feeling would be... I mean, historically, yes, they are. They're worshiping the same God. It, it emerges out of the same faith. Uh, I believe this was uh, debated uh, probably in the Middle Ages period, whether uh, whether Christianity or Judaism are considered worshiping another faith. I mean, ultimately, they are different faiths, but if you go by uh, religious rulings, a a religious ruling, and it, perhaps it's because of the Trinity. Um, they're typically an Orthodox Jewish ruling today would allow you to enter into a mosque, whereas they would uh, advise against entering into a church, as it's a place of uh, non, I guess, idolatrous worship. Because they're others, because they're icons or, or images. I, I don't think. See, I think. It, I think it would apply also to the uh, to Protestant, and I think it might be. Uh, a function of the Trinity, the Trinity not being considered uh, truly monotheistic. I want to get to the Trinity in a moment, but Reverend Taylor, I'm going to turn the question around to you. If one is monotheistic, in a contemporary way of looking at things, I, I don't understand how you could arrive at any other conclusion other than anybody else who's worshipping one God must be worshipping your God. How could there be any? If you're not monolatrous, monolatrous, you're monotheistic. There is only one God. So even if someone's screwing up the prayer or facing left and they should be facing right, or standing up when they should be sitting down, or talking the wrong language, or speaking to God and not the way that you would speak to it, has to be the same God, right? It, it would logically seem to to be so. Uh, one God, one Spirit that would be would be there. However, I would say that in practical application. Um, we as humans in our exclusivity have a, have, have a problem with um, different groups with different languages pointing in different directions. Uh, and so it would make sense on a logical forefront, but if it is threatening to what you hold, then it can become very, very problematic, I, I feel. And, and in the, the Christian tradition, another angle of this is we do have a group, or there is... Um, part of the Unitarian tradition, which totally rejects the Trinity for the same reason that, that uh, Shia was just speaking of. Before we go back to the general question, talk us, to us about the Trinity, because in some of the pregame, Reverend Taylor, you were telling me things I have never heard before, that there's actually a concept of the of tripartite gods or different levels of, of, of gods within Christianity. Is, is there something there? Am I, am I, am I remembering that correctly? Yes, um, I will try my best. And again, the, the the thing that is said over and over in Christian circles when trying to describe the Trinity is it's a mystery. So, you know, that's, that's the default. It cannot be explained. In fact, on Trinity Sunday, historically in the Middle Ages, um, rectors and priests would want to have an outside speaker to come in so that they would not be considered a heretic in their own um, in their own place of worship. But the idea of the Trinity is God the Father, 
God the Son in the person of Jesus Christ, who comes into the world as the Messiah, the redeeming factor, and then through the narrative, uh, after Jesus is crucified and then is resurrected in Easter, then Jesus tells his disciples to wait upon the Holy Spirit. In the second chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit arrives. And so that is where the three separate yet connected parts of the Trinity uh, come in. And there's huge theological debate uh, that gets people in trouble when they try to talk about it. So the default always comes back to, it's a mystery. Shia, bring us, before the break, let's talk about that same concept of, you know, how multiple godlike forces makes its way into the Torah, the, 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 the Jewish Bible. Because we have, we have not touched on some of the etymology and so forth. What are a couple of other examples of where uh, one can make the argument that Judaism originally was monolatrous, not monotheistic? You have the, the ones already mentioned. You have the one in Genesis where it's the uh, let us make God in our image. You have the Ten Commandments. Um, but another aspect to this is it's really a bigger question. What are, what are these other gods? What are divine beings? Are... You know, the, the literal translation of Malach, which is translated in English as an angel, the literal translation in Hebrew is a messenger. Mm. Now, there's this question, do angels exist, and what are they? Now, if you go back to the early portions uh, in the Bible, there don't appear to be any, any of these divine-type beings that have specific names and titles. Uh, in the book of Job, which the Reverend mentioned, uh, it says, it doesn't say the Satan, it says Hasatan, which is the adversary. It sounds like there is another being in heaven, but it's not necessarily a named being. That changes later when you get to like the book of Daniel. Where and Satan is, about, a, is a fallen angel too, a fallen divine being, right? There is, well, in, in, the, in the book of Job, he's just somebody on this divine council or somebody else in the divine realm. Who is an adversary? He doesn't. He is not a fallen angel. He is not. He is just. I, I believe that that the idea of Satan as a fallen angel is a Christian concept. Got it. So uh, it's only after Judaism interacts with uh, <laughs> interacts with the, the Persians and the Persians had a complex angelology, then you start to see these new divine beings, uh, such as the angel Gabriel, the angel Michael. Those are the first time you're getting these new uh, named beings. I know in later Jewish thought there's an angel, a Metatron, but I can't really speak to uh, the particulars about that. That so sounds like a superhero, like a Transformer superhero. It does. <laughs> yeah, we're going to come back after the break, Jaya. I'm going to ask you a little bit more to talk about angelology and kind of the different names for God, which actually relates, as you've discussed prior to the show with me, about uh, different peoples around the, the Hebrews, uh, the Israelites in, the, in this in this early period. And that's fascinating stuff. We're going to take a break in a moment. We'll take also a question related to this when we, when we come back on equal footing. We're talking about monotheism versus monolatry. What do we really believe? Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. 
With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Okay, we're back on Equal Footing. My guest, the Reverend Dr. David Taylor, a Christian theologian and teacher, Shia Graby, a biblical historian slash archaeologist. This, to me, is a fascinating discussion about monotheism versus monolatry. Put very pithily, monotheism being there is only one God. Monolatry is I have only one God. I worship only one God. Or we as a particular people or grouping worship one God. But others can worship, and I acknowledge others worship other forms of God or other ideas of God. Important difference, you know. It's easy to think, okay, this is, this controversy is silly. It's just nomenclature. It isn't. It affects the way we view others. If we really believe there is only one God, then I would argue as a Jew, I happen to be Jewish, that maybe instead of 14, 15 million Jews on the planet, maybe there are hundreds of millions. Maybe there's more than a billion. Because if you define as Jew, a Jew as being, having a Jewish mother and dating to the, you know, go back enough generations to the time of Sinai and ex, and the Exodus or even back to Abraham and you combine that with worshiping Hashem, the one God, well, that definition might apply to over a billion people on the planet right now. It also affects the way we see other religions that are polytheistic. So this is important stuff. Okay, so Shia, before the break, we were talking about the uh, the different divine beings and different nomenclature for God in the Bible that are in the Jewish Bible, in what Christians would call the Old Testament, that militates to the view that Judaism was originally monolatrous. Can you help us through some of those, you know, what the, the names we had for God in the Bible and how it might relate to cultures around the Israelites at the time? Well, uh, to start simply is when you go to when you look at the documentary hypothesis. One of the major for our listeners' sake, what what is the documentary hypothesis? Okay, so the documentary hypothesis is a hypothesis which somebody that uh, say does not believe in God would uh, question. Or who ultimately wrote this book? Who wrote the Bible? And a fellow by the name of Julius Wellhausen. Uh, proposed a hypothesis, right. which argued that there were four different authors of it. Now, one of the major and that hypothesis was sorry for the interruption was widely accepted across academe globally until relatively recently. Uh, well, it starts in the 19th century. Uh, it was probably controversial at the start, or certainly starting at a time where you know people are more committed to faith and to religion in a way that they aren't today. Uh, so I, I can't say it was globally accepted. I would say today there's more of an acceptance of it uh, by religious thinkers, but at the same time, the field has split in like multiple directions. Where you you have two schools of thought right now that 
really kind of operate in parallel and don't communicate with each other. So they, today uh, is the view that the that the that the Old Testament was written by multiple authors or one author? No, it will the the scholars today will agree it was written by multiple authors. Okay. And to to stay to the to keep to the question about the gods, one of the things that uh Wellhausen and others noticed was that in certain stories in the Bible you have the name of Jehovah and in other stories of the Bible you have the name El. Now, archaeologically, if you go back uh, to the, the second millennium BCE, El is recognized as the chief god of the Canaanite pantheon. Wow. And meaning, God Jehovah... Meaning not, meaning not the Hebrews, those living in Canaan. Well, not, well all, these, all these nations, or all the people in what I'll call the Levant, the area of roughly Syria, Israel, slash Palestine today... Uh, all those people spoke related languages. These are related people. Uh, arche- arche- archaeologically, they can't really be uh, differentiated. Now, the, the Canaanites, the, the chief god they worship, their main god became Baal or Baal Hadad, but the main, the, the founding god of their pantheon is a god by the name of El. Simultaneously, is that related area, to Elohim, which is translated often as the Lord, but it's plural, which I find fascinating. Well, Elohim is plural, so you have the god El up in Canaan mm-hmm. and up in area around uh, Lebanon and northern Israel, and there is a, a a monument at a temple in it's a temple at Soleb in Sudan today. And I believe it was the Temple of Ramses II, although I could be uh, I could be wrong about that. But basically, it's a New Kingdom, uh, latter half of the of the second millennium BCE. And on there, he references a people known as the Shasu of essentially, if if Yahweh is Y H W H, there is a reference to the Shasu of Y H W, which would translate roughly to Yeho. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, if you go in the... And that's the like almost a thousand miles away, because that's the Upper Nile. Well, yeah, that's the that's the Upper Nile, but yeah, so he's referencing... Now, Egypt was in control of that area for mm-hmm. most of this period of time, but uh, the area he's talking about roughly is believed to be southern Jordan, northern Arabia. And if you look at the biblical story in Exodus, uh, when Moses, God reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush... Moses is leaving Midian, which is northern Arabia, and he's going to the, the mountain at Horeb, Horeb, and it's there that he meets God in the burning bush. Hmm. So the location in the biblical account tends to match the location that is described by Ramses II so in bef- Sudan. Before we go down too much of a rabbit hole, because I know we love to, you and I love to geek out about this, and, and probably Reverend Taylor as well, the point is you have lots of references to different names of God etymologically in the Humash and the Torah and the Old Testament that come, we know, historically from different tribal groupings, different peoples, that each one of them believed, and in each case they believed their God was preeminent. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I would you know, if you just even go beyond Yahweh and El, you have El, um, Elyon, uh, Adonai Roi, uh, there's, there's numerous names for gods, and it's not clear that early on these are the same god. 
Right. I want to uh, go to a, a, we've gotten a, had a number of text questions. I do want to remind callers that you can call in also at 718-303-9090. Don't be intimidated by this kind of somewhat wonky conversation on monotheism versus monolatry. Uh, the idea of there is one God versus I have one God and you can do what you want uh, and participate. 718-303-9090. Here's a kind of a related question on angelology and different divine beings. Uh, Reverend Taylor, this listener says, while we are monotheistic, we do enjoy venturing into experiences, mainly like Hollywood movies, where there are demigods, superheroes, universes with universes with many gods, Viking gods, and the list goes on. Is this a clue about our society that we actually believe one way but live another? That's, that's an excellent question. Um, I would say that um, we, as a society, are, first of all, I think that we are very open. And I think that that is one thing in terms of the entertainment part of the question. I think the other thing is, is that we as a culture, and there's some um, a statistic that I just looked up, and this is from um, Christian pollster George Barna, is that uh, in the United States, belief in what we would consider a monotheistic or theistic God, a biblical proportion, all-powerful, all-knowing creator, has dropped over 20% since 1990. Wow. Uh, and so as a result, I think that we as a culture have kind of fused the idea of entertainment and theology because um, we love to we love to explore and Jedi has become a religion since 1976. <laughs> um, and so we are an incredible, our society promotes openness and inclusion, but many times religious groupings build, build territorial boundaries. Yeah, I think, I think, no, I, 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 I would actually, is, sorry, go ahead. Let, let me, let me add, let me add to this. One of the, one of the, uh, thoughts about, early Christianity and the idea of angels uh, in Judaism was that, so Judaism presents this very high God, and even in Christianity you have, you know, the Trinity as this very distant God. But for people in the ancient world who were polytheistic, they might have had, you know, if you're a Greek, you've had the god Zeus, but you also had a series of lesser gods, and those gods could relate to more specific aspects of your life. So you could have Dionysus, you know, a god of wine, or you could have a god that relates to a particular, you know, particular aspect of your life. And the thought is that when the early Christians adopted uh, this new religion, they maintained what became what were once gods were now reduced to patron saints. So you could be, you know, somebody could be the patron saint of the carpenter. You don't have to pray to the high god, but you have this other divine being that you can relate to. And there's so a strong argument, I, I think, that, sorry for the interruption, I think there's a strong argument that Torah did the same thing in its day, kind of co-opted, like you were talking, uh, El and Baal and Yahweh and different, different, you know, preeminent gods in the, in that area into, into a single, you know, belief structure. Yeah, everybody, you know, everybody's operating within an ancient context. You're operating within a context. They're not creating things de novo completely out of thin air. That, that's 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 what it, it seems to be. You know, you have, there's, there's cultural continuity from what existed before. It, it grows in new ways, but.
not entirely out of thin air. I think part of what you're getting at, Reverend Taylor, is that we really, and, and Walter Kaufman, the historian, I think put it really well, that really we're not talking about a difference now between polythe- polytheism and monotheism as the fundamental difference between religions in the world, but the difference between monotheism and monolatry. And I think that that, in part, what you're talking about, that, that reduction, the belief of, of there being a, uh, w- you know, one, um, undeniable, exclusive, you know, God that, that, that excludes your belief manifesting in any other type of ritual is reducing. But it's important to understand that that doesn't, it doesn't mean we're still, not, we still have a difference th- between, you know, what we, what we say and what we believe. There's a question here, um, that I'd like to read, Reverend Taylor, about this, this point. Uh, that the, this this listener writes, when I was 12, my friend invited me to go to her Catholic church. And about 15 to 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes into the service, the preacher stopped everything and asked me what my faith was. I didn't know how to respond, so he asked me to leave, and that I wasn't welcome to the service because I didn't follow Catholicism. I'm not sure why I would have been asked to leave. Are there specifics behind behind that? Isn't it one God? Uh, well, to the poser of this question, on behalf of Christianity, I'd like to apologize for this. Uh, that is not the way the hospitality of the Benedictines of the Catholic Church, um, we would hope that all um, Christian denominations would try to be Christ-like and being open and accepting uh, to all people who are seekers. And so I'm sorry that you had to experience that. Uh, again, from the previous idea of that many times there are um, there are lines that are drawn, and that could be a difference not only, as you mentioned, between Israel and the North and the South and the divided kingdom, but also from the South and the North and the United States. And it should be, yes, the, the, the idea of God being an opening and welcome, loving force that is continually inviting us in. Yeah, and there's a, there's a, another caller who who wrote in just as you were saying that, um, saying I agree with the Reverend. The church should always be welcoming, and it is. There's a logical reason why you wouldn't be welcoming. I have to say because if you're truly monotheistic and you ask someone spot on, do you believe in one God? And they can't answer you right away that they believe in the God that you're that you're saying is the one. You know, if, if you're consistent with that monotheistic belief, there's an argument for kicking the person out. I mean, I don't, and so I think that it goes to this point before about being consistent in our belief sets and, and, uh, and, and acknowledging this, uh, this, this distinction. We're going to go to our last break and then we're going to come back. I'm going to ask our guest, Jaya Graby, biblical archaeologist and historian, the Reverend Dr. David Taylor, Christian theologian and teacher, to kind of take the devil's advocacy position and argue for what perhaps they don't actually believe. But we'll leave you with a quote. Apropos to some of the controversy going out, which I think is quite sad around around Dr. Seuss, and it goes to this difference between are you going to be consistent in your monotheistic belief or are you going to acknowledge that you're actually monolatrous? And that is uh, Dr. Seuss comes from, oh, the thinks you can think. It says you can think anything that you wish. We'll be back in a minute. Equal 
Footing with Dove Tuzman is brought to you by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or inventory through Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts. You give them the collateral, the assets, you get cash within one or two days. Super easy, super safe. For more information, call 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972. Operators are standing by. Mechanical Art is putting out loans regularly. Get easy cash. If you are a watch dealer or collector, you can go to mechanicalartcapital.com. Operators are standing by also at 833-209-0972. All right, and we're back on equal footing with my guests, the Reverend Dr. David Taylor and Shia Graby. We're talking about the difference between monotheism and monolatry, the difference between there is one God and I have only one God. Get it? It's a little bit different. By the way, there are a lot of Dr. Seuss fans out there. I'm not the only one. I got several texts in the last 60 seconds about that. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna come up on time. Let's get out of our comfort zones. Doctor, the Reverend Dr. Taylor, make the argument. Well, first of all, do you think? I, I don't think I ever asked this directly on the show or even the pregame. Is Christianity, broadly speaking, Monotheistic or monolatrous? Um, it would depend on which area of the umbrella that you speak of. Uh, I think that there are groups that are either or both, or the, the central focus would be many times because of the branches of Christianity that we don't think specifically about this glitch in the matrix because the emphasis is placed on Jesus. And so with the, the idea of much of Christianity, just like Paul with the church in Corinth when he writes about the idea of this issue with uh, monolatry, is that Christianity is looking for converts from the very, very beginning. And so that idea of evangelical thought is, is a part of, of the equation that many people would focus on rather than um, the question of being strictly um, strictly monotheistic or not. And also there's the satanic influence, which we get a lot not through the Bible, but through Paradise Lost with John Milton. Make the argument for us real quick, in like you know, a minute, minute and a half, as to why it, it's better for the world for Christianity to be monolatrous, not monotheistic. I think that there is, uh, going back to the, the question that was dealing with being asked to leave, I, I think that many, many times uh, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God is like a banquet, that there is a banquet table, that there is a party, and that all are invited. Uh, and so as a result, I think there is an incredible value of bringing people to the table who may not see what you see, but the idea is that God is welcoming. And the even through the development of Paul's epistles, there is constantly disagreement. There was disagreement between Peter and Paul, the two foundational pillars of the Church, uh, in their views on what to do with converts, but yet they 
they still kept inviting people to the table. And yeah, it's I think easier to invite people is, if you accept that whatever they were doing before was okay. Exactly. But this and, is better. And again, every evangelical has a has a story of the way they used to be as opposed to who they are now. Right. Shia, let's take the other side. I know you and I believe are in agreement that, that Judaism arguably was originally monolatrous. But make the argument that, in fact, we're wrong, that, that Judaism all along has been monotheistic. So there are, there are two main uh, ideas that point to Judaism being monotheistic. So in the early Middle Ages period, Aristotle was reintroduced to the West and reintroduced through the Muslims. Uh, and... Aristotle's view of he has Aristotle's philosophy had this view of the unmoved mover. So if things are moving in the universe, well, something must be moving them, or something is not moving. So you know, motion happens against something else. And so this concept of Aristotle's unmoved mover was this idea of that this of this perfect, beautiful, indivisible. Uh, create a thing that, that you know, spends all day contemplating about itself. And Maimonides took that basic concept of the unmoved mover, and that in Maimonides is God. And for Maimonides, uh, that, that God is... Which for listeners who don't know, Maimonides is the preeminent and, you know, post-biblical uh, commentator on, on the Torah, or at least one of the, the, the most preeminent. Yeah, so essentially, Maimonides set aside 13 principles which were elemental for Jewish faith, and the first three essentially center around Aristotle's unmoved mover, which is there's a creator who is perfect in every matter, he is an absolute and unparalleled unity, and he has non-corporeality, he has no, there's no, he has no body. That's one thought, uh, this is the God of the philosophers. I find it fascinating. We're, we're going to be up on time. I, I find this topic fascinating. We're going to have both of you back on, on the show on this series about glitches in the matrix, biblical myths and problems, because when I ask you to defend that Judaism is fundamentally monotheistic, and I agree with how you did it, you actually go to uh, Greek philosophy. And, and there's a whole other show to do <laughs> on, on this topic. We're, we're going to be out of time in a moment. Do you think, Shia, you could give our listeners a couple of good reading tips if they're interested before we go on studying more about the difference between monolatry and monotheism? Well, the best book uh, is one written by Yechezkel Kaufman called The Religion of Israel, and he makes the argument that Israel, that uh, Israelite religion or the Bible or what became Judaism was monotheism for the start. And that's really uh, uh, one of the most important books in the field. And then, yeah, you've got authors like Deaver and Mark Smith who also write on, on the topic. I really encourage folks to dive into this. The more you dive into this topic, which may seem kind of, again, wonky in the beginning, the more it will challenge the way you see the world and I think affects the way we cohabitate as humanity. I'm going to finish by advocating for monolatry. <laughs> but take a, I'm going to take a view. I think it's uh, it, it's more consistent with what we actually believe, and it allows for more embracing acceptance of others. Uh, I would think that if God is truly preeminent, my God, my one God, it's truly preeminent. I don't think God would care so much if uh, you know if others thought so, because presumably uh, his or her its preeminence would uh, be be unmoved uh, either way. 
Reverend Taylor, Shia Graby, thank you so much for being on Equal Footing. Look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you. Thank you. My sweet Lord.